swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Welcome back into Mariners Extra Innings. We begin our 8 p.m. hour as we normally do with an opponent preview. And coming into Seattle this weekend, the Mariners will take on the Colorado Rockies for a three-game series, which starts tomorrow night at T-Mobile Park. Cal Raleigh bobblehead night for the first 20,000 fans in attendance. And joining me now, host of the Locked on Rockies podcast, which you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. It's Paul Holden, host of Locked on Rockies. Paul, really happy to have you on Mariners Extra Innings. How you doing tonight? I am. Uh, I'm doing great. Mariners, Rockies. It's a, a big weekend for me, and it's cool to be on the on the other side from 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 running the boards for the M's to to hopping on the airwaves. Uh, a, a big moment for me. Yeah. For those who do not know, Paul actually works for our sister station, Cairo News Radio, ninety seven three FM, but also hosts a, a Rockies podcast. Uh, you've also done some work with Mariners Radio in the past too. So uh, you've got you you're you're local to us. Here in Seattle, but uh, you're a Rockies fan from the Colorado area. Take me through this Rockies team because I, I don't mean to offend or anything, but they feel like maybe the most anonymous team to just anybody who isn't following this team on a daily basis. Who do we need to watch out for this weekend from this Rockies team? You know, it's funny you say that, Curtis, because maybe maybe you're cheating and maybe you're looking it up. But I want to ask you a question: Who's the starting left fielder? For the Colorado Rockies right now. Right now? Is is it Jerickson Profar? It is indeed Jerickson Profar. <laughs> if you had that on your bingo card to start the season, then congratulations to you. This is a Rockies team that you're going to probably be surprised and look and say, that person's on this team? Mike Moustakis, Chris Bryant, Jerickson Profar, all Colorado Rockies now. Uh, this is a team that isn't flashy, but it's a team that, I was okay with the moves they made in the offseason, but with the amount of injuries that they have sustained, uh, the lack of depth is on full display, especially on the starting pitching. Uh, but the big news and the big players, I think, to watch this weekend for the Rockies are going to be on the left side of the infield. And Ailerice Montero, the third baseman, and Ezekiel Tovar, two young guys. Uh, Montero getting a lot of time last year, but he was the Basically, the biggest piece of the Nolan Arenado trade uh, is was granted the starting spot at third base following the Brendan Rodgers injury where Ryan McMahon shifts over to, to second base. He's another uh, factor you're going to deal with. You got gold glove defense there at second base. It's someone who can hit the ball really hard. But this Rockies team is incredibly inconsistent, uh, a, a team that frankly should be over 500, but uh, blown late leads and uh, honestly just played a very similar series to the Mariners. So uh, it's interesting to see the Rockies and the Mariners end up with, with the same record here, but certainly a team with the, that, that you'll be scratching your head and say, huh, 
that person's on this team? <laughs> Definitely so. Just looking across this roster, you pointed all those guys out. They still have Charlie Blackman, who feels like he's been in Colorado for you know 20 years now, it feels like. They have a way of having those guys kind of stick around him and like Todd Helton. I know Matt Holliday didn't play his entire career with the Colorado Rockies, but did spend a fair amount of time there. Uh, also looking at this lineup, a guy who has had a lot of success against the Mariners in the past is C.J. Crone at first base uh, with four home runs already there. This season, uh, what has Crone been like in the middle of that Rockies lineup? Because he's a guy that, it, it, I mean, yes, he has played his last couple seasons at Coors Field, but he's got power that plays at any ballpark. Yeah, he'll hit the ball a mile away. Uh, the pun fully intended there. Did rocket one off the concession stand uh, in this series against the Cardinals. But he's also a guy with about a 30% strikeout rate right now. And unfortunately, uh, some incredibly frustrating at-bats. CJ Crone is a player that I think the Rockies, if they would have added him during the competitive window, really could have had a big impact for the club. But but now it's a question of how long do you want C.J. Crone there when one of your best prospects and someone that did play at the major league level in Michael Tolia, uh, how long do you want him to stay at AAA and C.J. Crone to strike out 30% of the time? Uh, C.J. Crone is important to this team, but it's it's a matter of how much the Rockies really want to stick with some of these veterans. Uh, the, the Rockies could have traded C.J. Crone right around the All-Star break last year if they really wanted to capitalize there, but this is also a team uh, that loves its veterans and, and will will stick with the, the, the these players throughout the season. So I, I, I think you can expect this from C.J. Crone. He's going to hit a couple of home runs, but he's also going to strike out a bunch of times and uh, come up flat in some situations. The Rockies really need him. Now, on the flip side, a hot C.J. Crone, a C.J. Crone that looks like he did against the Padres, that means the Mariners could be in trouble. That means the middle of the lineup is doing really well. And and you mentioned Charlie Blackman. Charlie Blackman's still swinging the bat really well. And uh, Chris Bryant hasn't been leaving the yard, but getting on base. Uh, there's been multiple opportunities for, for someone like Crone to drive in. Blackman and Bryant, who have gotten in second and third and runners in scoring position multiple times this year. Uh, but the Rockies haven't driven in all those runs. So if CJ Crone heats up, big news for the Rockies, but he's got to break some bad habits right now, uh, including uh, a, a pivotal moment in the game, uh, in the final game against the Cardinals. Bases loaded, nobody out, goes down on three straight strikes, and absolutely uh, a, a situation you cannot have. Uh, if you're C.J. Crone in the Rockies. Joined by Paul Holden of the Locked on Rockies podcast. You can follow him uh, on YouTube. Subscribe to his channel. And, and, and Paul, you bring up Chris Bryant, and that was a name that a lot of Mariners fans had their eye on uh, a couple off seasons ago. He's a close friend of Paul Seawald, Mariners reliever. Uh, a lot of people thought that Seawald was going to work his magic and get Chris Bryant to sign here. Uh, but last year, Bryant dealt with a lot of injuries, just could never get going in the 2022 season. This year, he's healthy hasn't hit a home run yet how do Rockies fans view that signing uh now more than a year removed from it you have to be more encouraged the one thing that you can really uh take from Chris Bryant's start to the season is he does look healthy uh he again like you said hasn't left the yard again uh another nice trivia question here for you Curtis who has more home runs at Coors Field Jerickson Profar or Chris Bryant <laughs> I'm I I'm going to guess Profar again. And that is Profar and that even extends to last year Chris Bryant yet to hit a home run 
in Colorado as a member of the Colorado Rockies. But this is a guy that's currently batting, you know, to start the season in 49 at bats, 306 uh, batting average, and then the the rest of the line there, 370 OBP, 367 slugging, and a 738 OBS, uh, OPS with three RBI. I mean, it's it's not the most flashy line, but he's getting on base. He's doing what he what he needs to do. You feel better. Good to see Chris Bryant in the lineup every day. You you feel better about the Rockies every single time that Chris Bryant is in the lineup. Now, the question about the signing, it's still going to be a question mark. Unfortunately, with the way the Rockies have, have gone post-Nolan Arenado, they, all roads still lead back to Nolan Arenado, and the questions of that trade and, and and signing Chris Bryant to this deal and this money is certainly one of them, but he's also someone that has the, he's an MVP. He's a world series champion, four-time all-star. Like this is a guy that, that is certainly going to contribute for the Rockies if healthy. And the biggest takeaway is he looks healthy. And we talk a lot. We've mentioned Profar a few times, but the addition of Profar has shifted Chris Bryant into right field, which is a massive deal because Coors field, big outfield and Chris Bryant himself even mentioned the, the struggles of playing left field in Colorado. So now he gets to get a play a much easier right field Profar has, you know, a great defense over there. And uh, so lots of positives for Chris Bryant. The dude just needs to leave the yard. <laughs> this guy's <laughs> supposed to hit home runs and we have not seen that yet. Uh, Paul, I, I want to look at the pitching side of things for the Rockies here as we have just a couple more moments and, a name that has been thrown around in trade rumors probably for the last couple of years is Herman Marquez. He's hurt right now. Uh, his, I believe he holds just an option for next year. I think it's a team option for next season. Uh, do you think he gets moved finally, or is this a guy that's just going to play out uh, his contract? Because I've heard his name floated, it seems like, for the last probably two or three trade deadlines, and yet there he is still in a Rockies uniform. I think you can add a lot of players to that list uh, and players that have moved on from the Rockies there. Uh, I don't see the Rockies moving Herman Marquez simply because he is just uh, he is about to set just about every Rockies pitching record strikeouts innings uh, the list goes on and on will you know will 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 he will he move on at the end of his contract that is i i think that could that that possibility is certainly there especially with the rockies but i can tell you uh that the rockies really like herman marquez and uh they it, if you were to trade herman marquez there would be no you should have done it when he was an all-star especially because of you you've seen a lot of herman of he is a pitcher that can show moments of excellence but at the end of the day is a three, a two at the best. He's not, you know, he would not be an ace on the Mariners, but he'd be really good as your back. If her, if Herman Marquez is the back half of your rotation, your rotation is in a, a great spot. The forearm uh, injury is a little bit of a concern. Obviously, forearm pitching, uh, that's basically a, a worse nightmare, but good x-rays, just no structural damage or anything. So he should come back strong, but uh, I don't see the Rockies moving him unless the Rockies finally do something that they themselves never want to admit, which is go for a quote-unquote rebuild or at least tear down some of these veteran contracts. I just don't see the Rockies moving Herman now versus uh, when they could have moved him in the past. He is Paul Holden, host of Locked on Rockies. 
and really appreciate him joining us here on Mariners Extra Innings tonight. Make sure that you are subscribing to his YouTube page, Locked on Rockies, and downloading that podcast wherever it is you get your podcast, wherever it is you get this podcast, too. Paul, really appreciate you joining us here on this Thursday night. Uh, thanks again, and uh, enjoy this series. Absolutely. I'll be there. T-Mobile will be there in purple having a, having a blast. Thanks, Curtis. On the other side of the break, he was very direct in his comments about his team's performance after the first week of games. How does Jerry DePoto feel about the Mariners after week number two? He sat down with Brock and Salk earlier this morning on Seattle Sports. We'll take a listen to a portion of that conversation. Coming up next here on Extra Innings, I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Kindly thank you for making Extra Innings a part of your Thursday evening. If you miss any moment of this show or any moment of any show here on Seattle Sports, make sure you're heading to the podcast page at seattlesports.com. Click on podcasts. Every hour of every show is available for you at your fingertips. Also, download the Seattle Sports app. You can access all the podcast hours available right there. You can also tune in live. You can also watch the live stream. Everything that you could want from Seattle Sports available on the Seattle Sports app. And one thing that you don't want to miss during the course of the week is Jerry DePoto's weekly interview he does with Brock and Salk each Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m. And how's Jerry feeling about this Mariners team in week two compared to where he was feeling it after week one? If you recall, very direct, very uh, very short with his answers in week one. How's he feeling after this road trip in Cleveland and Chicago where the Mariners go three and three? Well, let's take a listen to a portion of his conversation with Brock and Salk from earlier today. Uh, better than week one, you know, it, it was, uh, a, a decided step forward, both in, in, uh, I guess the, the product on the field, the, the consistency still, you know, it teeters, uh, but over the last eight games, you know, after a rough five game start over the last eight, you know, I, I think our offense is showing up and doing the things that we thought the offense could do and, and our pitching has been taxed, you know, our, our bullpen has been beaten up early on in the season with, with some short starts, and, and that hasn't been great. But otherwise, I feel like week two was a step in the right direction. You know, I was just saying to, to, to Salk there, Jerry, it feels like this season through two weeks for me, just the optics and the lenses, it's like I, I know what Mariner baseball is now. Like last season, like you know now what Mariner baseball is and what they're all about. And I don't know, I'm not even like looking at the standings or the schedules or the wins or the losses or anything. It's just kind of measuring, almost measuring yourself against yourself. And that's a, I don't know, do you find that to be a good thing, a helpful thing? That this is who we are and, and we know the standard with which we can play. Yeah, you know, I think for most of the next five months, that's all we'll do is measure ourselves against, you know, what we think the best version of ourselves might be. And, you know, it's a, we're still evolving. You know, this is uh there, we, we have some new players on this team. We, we've, it's still just 13 games into our season and, you know, the ship just left the dock, but there's, there's so much left to, to learn about this team. So many young guys that are taking steps forward or, you know, maybe they won't. And we have veteran players who most of whom are off to good starts and, you know, the, the individual players, I think, are doing things that, that make it uh, interesting here in these first two weeks and, and give you hope about what it'll look like five months from now. 
You know, one thing we found ourselves discussing this week was the difference between talent and execution. And, you know, I, I think when you see a couple of games, it's easy for some folks to to make large scale suppositions about what they mean going forward for that player or that team or whatever. As someone in your position, how do you how do you tell the difference between talent and execution? You know, I think really that is the story of our season. We have a ton of talent. And and I think that's recognized on on a national, you know, or global level. Our execution over the course of the first week was poor. And, you know, I think that's picked up quite a bit in the last, you know, seven, eight games. You're gonna have the the roller coaster days. We had one the night before last in Chicago. And you can't help as a fan and you know, frankly, me. I'm sitting here watching it too. And you can't help but ride the roller coaster and, and feel like the you know, this the sun is falling on the earth. But that's it's a it's a single baseball game in a hundred and sixty two game season. And I try to remind myself of it all the time. Yeah, it's it's a marathon. Sometimes you're gonna stumble. And sometimes even the best players in the world have an off day at work and mm-hmm. You know, you wake up the next day and it looks different. Is it helpful for you at all? As I find it to be for me, but that's just my personality. Is it helpful for you to get mad in the game so that you don't overreact after the game? Does that make sense? You know, it, oddly, it absolutely does. And and oddly, uh, the day before last, I did get mad watching the game. <laughs> as I'm me too. as I'm watching it, you can't help it. You know, it's uh, I I saw it. I, I spent four years as a as a player in Colorado in the nineties. And that's what it looked like. (laughs) And, you know, and then shortly afterward, I was texting back and forth with Scott and in the evening. And, and we were, we were talking about the the remembering what it was like to play in those environments, especially at Wrigley field on the nights where the wind's blowing out. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the the anger gets tempered a little bit and you think, you know, I've been guilty of this too. And, and, you know, it'd be hypocritical of me to to not acknowledge the fact that it's a really hard thing to go out there and be that consistent over six month period. I know that uh, Salk's going to dig into Kelnick with you here in a second, um, but I'm going to ask a simple one. Any idea where that ball that he hit last night lands at uh, at T-Mobile? I, I, well, I'm pretty sure my backyard, (laughs) it's a, and it, it may actually still be on its way here. I'm not sure, but it, he he launched it. It was uh, it was a notable series for for JK, especially the the length of the homers. What has been the key to his start? Uh, consistency in his approach. You know, his uh, Jared has uh, said this coming into spring training, even leaving the the off season. He's just in such a much different place than than the past couple of years. He's he's matured quite a bit in his approach. To, to a baseball game. And I, right now his, his focus at bat to a bat, I, I thought, the, you know, yesterday was notable. I thought the night before when he, when he went out there and battled through those, those at bats, when he got down two strikes, you know, that's what you want to see a young hitter do. He takes the couple of walks, he sees pitches. And then later on in the game, when he gets one in, in the wheelhouse, he can just drive it. And it's a, uh, his, his approach, in the box has been as consistent as anybody we've had since day one. And I'm thrilled for him and for us that he's seeing some, some returns on it because I I really can't say enough about where he's at in terms of plan. How many humans in the game of baseball today can hit those three shots at the rate, the velocity, the distance, and those things that he did. How how many other guys in baseball on back to back to back and not the consistency of doing that, but literally just say, okay, 
you know, can you hit this ball with this launch angle, this exit velo, and this far? How many guys do you think in the game today can do that? Not many. You know, and and, and when, when it does happen like that, sorry, Archie didn't like that one. You know, it does. <laughs> sorry, I think when, when it does when it does happen like that, you know, it is it's guys like Aaron Judge, the, the ball just jumps and it explodes off the bat. And it's obvious you see it a fair bit. And over the course of a, of a batting practice round, but in games where, where, where there is, you know, a, a pressure, there's an, there's an outcome that matters. You really don't see it that often. And, I, and from the, the, you know, the ninth inning Homer that, that ties the game, the drama associated with, with that, I thought the most impressive one was the oppo homer into the tunnel. That's, you know, that, that's a long way for a right-handed hitter to pull a homer, much less a left-handed hitter to hit it off. And I don't care what the conditions are. That's a long way to hit a baseball. And one, you know, as we talked through, Jared's obviously been one of the great starts to this, uh, great stories to start this season. One thing that I've been surprised at, because it's been, really the exact opposite of the hallmark of this team is, is maybe some of the sloppiness and some of the mistakes, mental mistakes, et cetera, that we've seen late in games a few times. How, what do we chalk that up to? Because it, it has not at all been what this team's been about for the last few years. Yeah, and that's what I meant when I said that, you know, early on our execution was not on par with our talent. And we have been a very disciplined team. You know, in the batter's box and how we manage the strike zone and how efficient we are defensively. And, and that has been true for the last couple of years. That, that's not a new development. That's what this group does. And, you know, the, the players who've been here for a number of years, have that's the personality or, I guess, a trait that they have brought to the to Mariners baseball. That's what we do. And, and, and we didn't do that early on we were very sloppy and it was you know i i think atypical of what we're about and i think we'll get back to that i can just chalk it up to early season guys are on their feet more than than they have been and you know this seems like a small thing but in that first week you know we were the team that started first and played seven when everybody else had played six and it doesn't sound like much but when you're coming out of five and six inning games and spring training, it takes a little while to work into your legs. And I, and I think that's what we were watching. Is there anything to that pitch clock of just speeding up? You know, maybe that's a term you will hear in baseball at times. I've certainly heard it over the last 15 years of the game just sped up on him. In that moment, the game just sped up on him because he just made a, a mistake or made a throw or made a, made a play that just he, you know, was, was normally would not do that. But is there any anything too? Maybe in these first few weeks, still feeling out, especially for the pitchers, for for Brash and for Penn Murphy in those moments to, you know, to still feel out what the timing uh, and, and the mechanism is going to be with this pitch clock. Oh, I think I think that's something that we saw a fair bit of, and not just us with the Mariners, but across the league. And you know, now as as we're in week three of our season, it is that's that seems to be solving itself. You know. Uh, as with each passing week, there have been fewer violations. We're just—it's not—it's no longer an issue. You know, now it's something that the players are just adjusted to, and you know, I think there's still an occasional, you know, blurb, you know, that that happens during the course of a game that you might see in a, you know, in a in a box score with a, a violation. But it's, it's now more the exception than the rule, and uh, it's, it makes the game crisper and cleaner and i think it's a it's a win for everybody even the players i think everybody is is enjoying the effect that it's had on the game 
That's Mariners GM Jerry DePoto. You can listen to the full conversation with Brock and Salk available at seattlesports.com or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the Brock and Salk podcast. Subscribe to the Bump and Stacy podcast. Subscribe to the Wyman and Bob podcast. Whatever you're doing, subscribe to those podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe to Mariners Extra Innings as well while you're at it. Coming up next, we are about half hour left. In this edition of Mariners Extra Innings, we will take a look at some of the biggest headlines in baseball coming up at 845. But up next, Ryan Mullen-Smith and I continue our conversation from earlier in the show, taking a look at Teoscar Hernandez, him coming around, and also looking at Logan Gilbert's day on the mound. More to come on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station of the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll take a look at some of the biggest headlines around Major League Baseball, including those Tampa Bay Rays who simply refuse to ever lose again. They are now 13-0, tying a Major League record. We'll, get, we'll take a look into their record-setting street. We'll take a look into their record-setting start to the season. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. Also, uh, some other big headlines in baseball with a round of pepper. But I'm calling an audible here. Uh, I said Ryan Roland Smith. Uh, play that segment that I did with him in yesterday's postgame. But there's some more appointment listening throughout the week here for Mariners fans, uh, not just pre-postgame, uh, not just the game itself, not just Jerry DePoto's weekly conversation with Brock and Salk, but every Tuesday from 1 to 2, you get an hour of Mariners talk. You start off with the coaches show. You get a visit with uh, a coach from the Mariners coaching staff. This week it was Manny Acta. You also get a visit with a Mariners broadcaster and the Mariners insider Shane Adrera will stop by as well. A full hour of Mariners content in the middle of your week. You can download that podcast at seattlesports.com. It is also included in hour four of the Bump and Stacy podcast every single Tuesday. So there are multiple spots where you can find it uh, each week. But this week, Aaron Goldsmith stopped by with Bump and Stacy and talked a lot about you know where this Mariners team is, how they can figure out using the DH spot, uh, Jared Kelnick's hot start to the season. But also, he talked about where the Mariners are in, in winning these close games or at least having trouble with these close games because so often in the last couple of seasons, we've seen the Mariners come out victorious, come out on the winning end of these things. And so far in 2023, it, is, it hasn't been the case. Is he noticing anything different in close games? Let's take a listen to what Goldie had to say. I would say uh, nothing feels different yeah. because they're playing extra inning games and they're close games once again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's even last year, for as great as the Mariners were in those situations, they still lost games like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just is a while ago and isn't as fresh as the last two days. So uh, it's obviously feels a little bit different when your bullpen has been reshaped because of injury and uh, being taxed in the last couple of days, last uh, 72 hours in particular. Bullpen feels and looks uh, certainly different than it did when the Mariners broke camp. And injuries are to be expected, so that's that's part of the game, and Scott and those guys have to weather that storm. But this is part of it, and unfortunately the Mariners lost the last two games, so one to a playoff team last year and the other to a, a very uh, much rebuilt Cubs team. Whether or not they'll be a playoff team this year, who knows, but it's a it's an improved team. There's no question from what the Cubs were last season. So the Mariners were in those two games and couldn't finish them off, which is certainly disappointing, uh, but it wasn't like they were boat racing either of those games. And when you play in extra innings, hey, anything can happen. We all know that very well. This team has been um, 
it's been exciting for me, honestly, right? You're not getting the results that you want at this time, but you're seeing guys show up. Now, you saw Colton Wong kind of do his thing a little bit. We're hoping for more there. Um, when you look at this DH spot, what do you think needs to happen? What are you seeing fill the people in? Well, the Mariners are taking an approach with the DH spot that is not at all uncommon around the game right now. There are very few teams, I mean, outside of Nelson Cruz, a name that instantly comes to mind for a lot of Mariners fans. Outside of Nelly, there are hardly any teams in baseball that have one guy that they can pencil in there as a DH every day. So the Mariners are using it as a revolving door, which is a, a pretty popular strategy right now and, and trying to play the matchups and trying to get some guys off their feet defensively. But it has been a struggle. The offense overall has been a struggle, and the DH position in the lineup has especially been one. There's no getting around that. Um, I don't think, at hopefully at the end of the year, the Mariners aren't, uh, let's call it next to last or last in any variety of categories when you look at the DH spot in particular. But uh, it has not worked out well yet. I don't think it's for a lack of effort. I don't think it's a matter of trying harder. But uh, it just the hits have not been mm-hmm. coming from that position. And overall, the Mariners' offense has uh, been lethargic at times, which kind of feels like last year in some ways. The Mariners had incredible pitching last season to help buoy that. You would think that they would have some similar pitching this year as well, although, as we mentioned, it's been uh, certainly taken a hit or two with injury. Uh, but the Mariners would like to see this offense get off to a hot start at some point soon. Maybe tonight's the night. If, if anything, what last year taught me as a, a baseball fan is you never know. You really never know when a team is going to get hot. It could happen tonight. It could happen on the homestand. Uh, but hopefully for the Mariners, it happens sooner rather than later. Uh, now, Aaron, we're talking with Aaron Goldsmith uh, right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Jared Kelnick off to a nice little uh, hot streak here. And uh, unfortunately for him, uh, he hasn't been able to like get a Mariners win on day when when like he's been great you just want him to be able to have that fun celebration but you know it's coming um he took kind of a different approach this offseason training in a different area sticking closer to Arizona have you seen a difference in his approach to the plate or in his at-bats well I think Jared certainly looks more relaxed he looks calmer he looks more grounded he doesn't look like each at-bat could determine the rest of his career whether he (laughs) succeeds or fails um, a Jared, like any of these hitters, is process-driven, and he's trusting the process, and he is stuck with what he, what you referenced, uh, what he incorporated into his game uh, over the course of the offseason. I think for this team, uh, for this team to get to the heights that it wants to get to, Jared Kelnick needs to be uh, an everyday part of this organization. Now, right now, he's not an everyday guy. A.J. Pollock was brought in, and the, the, I think the organization did a very good thing by limiting Jared's exposure to lefties, right? That's why Pollock is here, so that Jared doesn't have to face those tough lefties each and every night, because he needs to get a base. He's never had a base underneath him, so to speak, at this level. And what Pollock's presence does is not only is he good for the overall team, but he's especially good for Jared Kelnick and his development at this level. Ultimately... For Jared Kelnick to be Jared Kelnick, he needs to be able to be in there against lefties. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that will come. When that comes, is, is that by the summertime? Is that next summer? That's to be determined. No one knows that. But he certainly has the talent. And we're seeing that I think probably uh, he's one of the real bright spots for the Mariners offensively this year uh, so far. Because we are seeing that come to fruition. Even the, even the outs are typically hard hit, quality contact. And he just... 
boy, you don't get stressed when you watch him hit like you did it before. And that's probably because yeah. he's not stressed like he was uh, once before when he was at the plate. And we saw flexing, I believe, the last time was against the Angels, held him to two runs on, on two hits. How important has he become in this rotation with, with a couple guys out and then even throw Munoz from the bullpen being out? Yeah, you know, I've been really impressed by the swing and miss we've seen from Flexen. Uh, even when you go back to his first appearance out of the bullpen this year, like when you think of Flexen, you don't think of this huge swing and miss stuff from Flexen. Uh, but we've seen that so far in his uh, handful of appearances. I think when you look at the Mariners this offseason, you could easily uh, put some blinders on and make a strong case that if the Mariners wanted to maximize the talent on their 40-man roster, that either Marco Gonzalez or Chris Flexen is no longer a Mariner, right? Because the Mariners, as we know, have needed to boost up their lineup, improve their offense, and they had an extra starting pitcher. And there aren't many teams that go to camp with an extra legitimate, qualified, big league starting pitcher. It doesn't happen that often. So the Mariners did not do that. They held on to both of those guys. And now, just really days into the season, it's turning out to be an exceptional move because when you want to play in October, when you want to be chasing either a wild card spot or you want to be tracking down the Astros, one thing you cannot have is you cannot have a triple A equivalent player be forced into a everyday or near everyday role mm. for a team that is competing to win. If you're trying to get back to that 90-win plat- uh, threshold that we've seen the last two years, you just can't have it. Can you have it for a short period of time? Absolutely. And, and every team, even championship teams, have that because injuries happen, emergencies happen, and sometimes you just get thin at a spot. But you cannot have that as a part of your rotation every five days. So credit to the Mariners. Uh, credit for Flexen. I think he's so overlooked in this rotation, uh, and it has been for years. He's been such a quiet, steady performer since he has come to the Mariners organization. And it's a really important thing for the Mariners to have right now. Last question here. Now, he's not overlooked in the Mariners organization. I'm talking about Luis Castillo. But you could make the case that he's a little overlooked nationally when you're talking about, like, Cy Young candidates and Cy Young favorites. Does he have that kind of potential this year? Oh, sure. I think they're... I, I, I agree. You could easily overlook him. Now, to be fair to people who are looking at every starting pitcher in the league, sure, I mean, course, you know, there's there's a lot of really great guys, uh, and the Mariners see that firsthand like everybody else. But I think one of the things that potentially makes this rotation special is that when this team broke camp, I mean, true, I, I think I can be unbiased when I say this, but there are multiple guys where if you said – okay, this guy's going to have the best season. No, this guy's going to have the best season. No, this guy's going to be an all-star. Like, you could really have a a fun hypothetical debate about that, right? I mean, how many guys in that opening day rotation do you think could be in Seattle for the all-star game this year? I mean, wouldn't surprise you if Gilbert? Wouldn't surprise you if it was Kirby? Wouldn't surprise you, of course, if it was Castillo? Uh, And Robbie Ray, I mean, even still with the injury, who knows uh, what uh, the rest of his season will look like. So whether you're talking about smaller awards like the all-star or something as grand as a Cy Young Award, there's that kind of talent, and it starts with Castillo because he is, for sure, the most dynamic guy in that rotation. Just one segment to go in this one. On the other side of the break, we take a look at some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball right now, and a round of pepper. That's how we finish off every single edition of Extra Innings here on the Mariners Radio Network, and that's coming your way next. Curtis Rogers with you here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.
You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Welcome back into Seattle Sports, and welcome back into Extra Innings. This is how we wrap up every single edition of this show. I'm Curtis Rogers. Really appreciate you joining me on this Thursday. And let's take a look at some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball, and the one that has really captured the attention of baseball fans everywhere. That'd be the Tampa Bay Rays, who... Heading into today, we're 12-0, and needing one more win in order to tie the Major League record that has been held by the 82 Atlanta Braves and the 87 Milwaukee Brewers for most consecutive wins to start a season. Well, they were down 3-1 heading into the fifth inning, but a huge, huge explosion of offense from the Tampa Bay Rays capped off by this bases-clearing double by Harold Ramirez. Uh, put seven runs on the board for Tampa. They cruise to their 13th win in a row. Here's Harold Ramirez. And a ground ball being hit up the left side. Down into the corner it goes. Arena has scored. Franco has scored. Here comes Margot. It's a double. A two-base hit clearing the bases. And the Rays have exploded here in the fifth inning for seven. Seven runs in that inning. They win it today, 9-5. to And, man, 13 wins in a row. They have a run differential of plus 71 right now. So they're not just winning ball games. They are bludgeoning teams that they're facing. They finished off a four-game sweep of the Boston Red Sox. And you wonder, when will this end? Their next series on the road against the Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto's starting pitchers in their first two games of that series. Not the best uh, starts they're off to this season. Jose Barrios has an ERA over 11 right now. He gets to start in game one for the Blue Jays. And in game two is Yusei Kikuchi, who will uh, bring his ERA of about six and six and a half, six and three quarters to that one. This Rays team, they are a team you cannot let your opponent... uh, You cannot take your foot off the gas pedal. You can't give them any space to take advantage of because they are just rolling right now. Uh, I remember last week I talked to Jordan Schusterman of Fox Sports and and says with his family barbecue, and I I told him, like, oh, yeah, the Rays, you know, they're 6-0 right now. They're not going to win every single game, obviously, because it's a 162-game season. Well, they're making me eat my words. (laughs) They haven't lost yet. We're, We're two extra innings into the season and the Tampa Bay Rays still have not lost a ball game in 2023. They have really helped themselves out uh, in that tough AL East race for sure because, I mean, you look at, at the remainder of your season, you pretty much have to play a 500 ball the rest of the way in order to get 90-plus wins. So uh, the Rays really, really helping themselves out to start this season. The only longer streak to start a season in professional baseball history with more consecutive wins 20 set by the 1884 St. Louis Maroons of the Union Association. I didn't even know they were keeping track of stats back then in 1884, but uh, that is what the Rays uh, have to beat if they want to keep uh, if they want to keep setting records here. But one more win, and they will have the modern day record of 14 consecutive wins to start a Major League Baseball season. Sticking with baseball, it's going to be interesting to see how teams 
work with the new rules, the quicker pace of games, because we've seen about a half hour on average trimmed off the length, the total length of games across Major League Baseball. Now, if you're watching at home, I'm sure that's a pretty enjoyable experience. But if you're at the stadium, that's a half hour less to get your concessions. That's, you know, more time missed watching the game if you're standing in line. So how do... Major League Baseball teams make sure that everybody gets the food that they came there for, the concessions that they came there for, the alcohol that they came there for. Well, many Major League Baseball teams are now allowing for alcohol and other food to be sold into the eighth inning, not just into the seventh inning as it's kind of commonly practiced around Major League Baseball. There's no official rule on that. It's just kind of something that's been agreed upon amongst most Major League Baseball teams. I know here in Seattle, they are sticking with seven innings. I don't believe there is a plan to increase that just yet. Who knows how this homestand might impact that. But some teams are also going a step further. The Houston Astros, for example. At limited locations at Minute Maid Park, you'll be able to purchase concessions and alcohol even after the final out of the game. Now, I think to be able to get fans what they came to the stadium for, which is concessions, which is alcohol in some cases, and also to be able to watch the game that they that they paid a very pretty penny for. Uh, I think it's good to see teams try to come up with solutions to that, that problem. Now, as Phillies pitcher Matt Strom points out, the, this could also create an unforeseen circumstance on its own. He expressed concern on a podcast recently about fans drinking so close to the end of games and then driving home without a chance to sober up. You've got the seventh inning, you've got the eighth inning, you've got the ninth inning, you've got three innings to you know, sober up and, and, and not have the alcohol impact you as much as it would from the eighth inning onward. And I think that's a very fair concern, especially because you know, players... They're not drinking during games. At least I don't think they are. I'm sure some may have a little nip here or there. But I I, I wonder if there is a, a better solution to just getting this, to getting fans what they've come to the stadium for. I've seen it on Twitter before. I've seen it on social media before where fans are complaining about the pitch clock where it's like, I sat in an hour of traffic to get to the stadium and the game was over in two hours and I sat in an hour of traffic just to get home. I spent more I spent the same amount of time in traffic as I did watching this game. Like that that's not fun. That's not a fun thing to have happen to you. I wonder though if teams are going to need to open doors earlier to the stadium, which could help out with the need for more concessions. I wonder if they're gonna need to hire more concession staff. Uh, I wonder if they're going to need to hire or, or just make better equipment in order to get people their food and, and their drinks quicker. Because, look, I, I get it. Like, in my job, I sit in a press box. I don't have I don't have to sit in line for or stand in line for as often as, as you might who, who pay to go to these games. But I understand the, the concern that a lot of people have in this. And uh, I hope that we see Major League Baseball teams really make a concerted effort to fix these issues that have been brought up by uh, the pitch clock trimming so much of the game off. Uh, because, look, you know, you don't want to be standing in line for too long 
missing out on a full inning of action, a couple innings of action because the line is building in front of you. That's not fun. So hopefully there can be resolutions to this across Major League Baseball uh, that just makes that make a lot of sense. Also in Major League Baseball today, Jeff Passan, uh, he reported this earlier, a Salt Lake City group could be pushing to join in on MLB expansion conversations. We've seen other cities across United States of America and, and Canada join in on the expansion talks. We've seen Portland with the Portland Diamond Project. We've seen Nashville. Uh, Montreal, I think, is another city that is, has been inquiring about MLB expansion ever since they lost the Expos. But now Salt Lake City, a group led by the Miller family who used to own the Utah Jazz, has been assembled. They still own the Salt Lake City Bees, uh, the L.A. Angels AAA affiliate. And former Brave star Dale Murphy has joined this group. Interesting to note about Dale Murphy is that he used to be a, a figurehead in the Portland Diamond Project group because he grew up in the Oregon area, but since his playing days ended in the 1990s, he has lived in Utah full-time. Interesting, I I wonder if that kind of speaks to maybe the Portland Diamond Project no longer being the the leader in the clubhouse, I guess, if if that makes sense, because Look, I would love more baseball in the Northwest. It would it would definitely cut down on the Mariners' travel schedule. You have a built-in rivalry with Seattle and Portland. Uh, that'd be really cool because it feels like the Mariners don't have a, a give-and-take rivalry with the team. It, it feels like it's always been kind of one-sided with them and some of the contenders in, Amer- in the American League. Uh, but to have a geographic rival like Portland would be really cool. But look, if Salt Lake City wants to get in on the action, I say go for it. I think it's good that there are so many cities now that are expressing interest in in adding, you know, teams to their markets. It's been, what, 25 years since Major League Baseball last expanded to 30 teams. The last two teams to do it, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, varying levels of success, but both teams dealing with attendance issues obviously as of late the diamondbacks looking for a new stadium down in the uh, phoenix area and obviously tampa they've been looking for a new stadium since really they entered major league baseball Uh, i know major league baseball doesn't want to address expansion until there is a resolution not with just the rays but also with the oakland a's uh whether or not their stadium in, in oakland will get a facelift they'll get a new stadium oakland or they will potentially look elsewhere i know las vegas is a city that has been long uh, rumored to be interested in the oakland a's and it would make sense too to for the a's to follow the raiders to vegas but i think it's a good thing for baseball that there are so many cities right now that are are chomping at the bit looking to get in on the expansion game that is going to do it for us here on this thursday evening really appreciate you stopping by and making extra innings a part of your evening mariners take on the colorado rockies tomorrow from t-mobile park 6 p.m pregame show right here on the mariners radio network i uh, got a lot of people to thank for this one for mike lefko and paul holden of the locked on rockies podcast i'm curtis rogers really appreciate you tuning in this has been extra innings on the Mariners Radio Network in Seattle Sports.